Good evening, everyone. Uh, do keep someone open in front of you. I'm sure that'll be uh, really helpful for you. And ordinarily, uh, when I stand up to preach, I would be uh, thinking of something kind of uh, clever or entertaining to grab your attention with. But tonight, I don't think I need that at all uh, because of how this psalm starts in verse 1. Did you, did you see it? Blessed is the man. Or it could be just as easily translated, blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the person. And that Hebrew word for blessed, uh, we're going deep, straight into, straight into some, some, some uh, Hebrew uh, <laughs> from the off. But, it, but, it, but it's not actually the word that's most often used for blessed in the Bible, meaning the one favored by God. No, it's translated, translated literally happy. Happy is the one. Truly happy. Or, or actually the closest to it is to be envied. To be envied. That's how this psalm starts. And I don't know about whether that grabs you, but it certainly grabbed me. Uh, because I'm pretty sure that if I went into town and um, you know, held a microphone under, people on North, under people's noses on Northumberland Street and asked them, you know, what do you most want out of happy? I mean, what, what percentage of, of what do you want most out of life? What percentage of people do you think would, would, would say to be happy? I think it'd be pretty high, wouldn't it? You know, we all want to be happy, don't we? So let me ask you, what do you think will make you happy in life? What do you think will make you happy this summer? We're all looking forward to the summer, aren't you? What will make you happy over the next couple of months? Well, there's lots of opinions out there, as well as in here. But the God who made the heavens and the earth, who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who gives you each breath, he says here he is offering you true, enduring happiness right at the start of this psalm. And he, he does so not only by giving us a promise, but also a warning. As this psalm tells us, basically, there are only two ways to live. Have a look at the end of the psalm now. If the first word is blessing or blessed. It's striking what the last word is, isn't it? Perish. This psalm is bookended by those, those two realities, blessing, perishing. Those are the brackets that we're operating in tonight. Uh, and you've probably heard it said before that the world, uh, well, there's only two types of people in the world, haven't you? You know, people will give you a range of different types of people. There are like, you know, those who are Android and those who are zealously, evangelistically Apple. Uh, there's those who... Uh, squeeze the tube of toothpaste from the end. And then there's those evil people who tube it right, who squeeze it right from the middle or even the front. Shame on you, if that's you. <laughs> and then there's those who start, uh, who finish what they start. And then there's people who, well, you know. And then there's people, the kind of people who, uh, so th th thanks, thanks to the three of you who laughed. That was, I really do appreciate that. Not at, least, not at least my family are looking at me going, that is absolutely you, Dad. You never finish your sentences. Uh, but there's also those people as well who you know, believe that there's two types of people in the world and uh, people who don't. Uh, but Psalm 1 gets much more serious. It goes deep, doesn't it, straight away here. Much more serious in that. And the only way that really matters there are only two types of people, two ways to live. You could, verse one, walk in the counsel of the wicked, or verse two, 
Delight in the law of the Lord. Two ways. Only two ways. Verse 3, you can be like a tree planted by streams of water, well-rooted, evergreen and fruitful. Or, verse 4, you can be like chaff that the wind blows away, dry, rootless, utterly unstable. Two ways. Verse 6, what a warning. You can either take the path of the righteous and are blessed, or you can take the way of the wicked and you perish. Having utterly failed to, verse 5, stand in the judgment. There are only two ways to go in this life. And the whole Bible reflects this. Jesus himself taught that there are only two roads, only two. You can either go uh, the broad way that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to life. And it's so uncomfortable because I think deep down we would really, or maybe even that, not that deep down, we, we would really like to invent a third category of person. You know, the nice person. We may be thinking about that neighbor or work colleague who, um, they're lovely and they're charming. Okay, they don't come to church and they don't really want to have anything to do with God. But we think of them and we think to ourselves, are they really wicked? (laughs) That couldn't be. Well, let's ask the reverse, shall we? Are they righteous? Are they, verse 2, delighting in the law of the Lord? And on his law, they meditate day and night. Do they seek God's instruction? Do they listen to him? Do they ponder his word, wrestle with it, love it? The righteous person here can't can't live without hearing God's word and taking it deep inside and treasuring it. So please note that these terms, righteous and wicked, they're not ethical or moral terms. No, this is, this is relational. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It, it's, it's relational, the, the, these, the, the way these words are being used. The righteous person knows and cares for God because God knows and cares for them first. Whereas the wicked at root are those who they live in God's word, world, taking God's gifts, but ignoring him, the giver. And they may appear on the outside to be thoroughly decent kind of people. Deep down, they are utterly opposed, even antagonistic towards God. I mean, what is the number one commandment that the Lord has laid down for the people he has made? That was a question asked to Jesus once, wasn't it? And what did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God is looking for people, not merely charming or nice, but but who seek after him with everything he's given them. Everything they've got. And in order to do that, if we want to do that, we have to say no to the ways of the world. That's the first step to true happiness. Do you see it in verse 1? Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the blessed person does not go by the way 
of, uh, of how the peer group think. They don't follow their example or aspire to be like them. Can I just say that is so tough to do? I know that. But walking in the counsel of the wicked leads to standing in the way of sinners. And that's where we we don't pick up other folks' ways of life or, or try and cozy up and stay around them to seek their approval because, well, we are totally secure in who God has made us and redeemed us to be in Jesus. We know that Jesus holds us tight and that his love is utterly unshakable because he died for us. And so unlike those who sit in the seat of scoffers who who are so insecure in themselves that they sit in judgment and on others that they are entrenched, hunkered down in their hostility to God. We live differently. Now do you see that downward spiral there? In verse 1, walking, standing, sitting. And it's the mockers who sit. I don't know about you, but um, have you ever found once you sit down, it's kind of hard to get back up again? I mean, I don't know, this might be just the age I'm getting to. For, so getting back up involves a, a bit of groaning and creaking. But, you know, you, you're just absolutely whacked out. You sit down and you lie down on the, on the sofa, maybe to watch a little bit of telly, read your book, whatever. And, and then, you know, you just, oh, it's just so hard. It's so comfortable. It's so hard to just get back up again, isn't it? I can see that one or two people get what I'm talking about here. But, but, but that's the picture the psalmist is painting here. He's saying, be careful who you walk with. Because before you know it, you will be on this downward spiral that will be really hard to turn back from, to get back up from. And so I need, you need to be ready to say no to the ways of the world sooner rather than later along the path. And a culture that often caused me to just go with the flow, to stay stum, just go with it. I'm to, I'm to stand firm and say no, regularly, often, if I want to pursue true happiness. Now that doesn't mean that God cannot do a miracle and call someone from verse 1, sitting among the mockers, to verse 2, delighting in the law of the Lord. Uh, Some of you may have read books or articles written by uh, these two brothers, Christopher and Peter Hitchens. And up until his death about 10 years ago, Christopher Hitchens was probably one of the most famous atheists in the country after Richard Dawkins. And his brother Peter was in him with that for many years, so much so that he burnt a Bible that he was given at his confirmation. (laughs) That That was how far he went to mock God. Yeah, amazingly, just before his brother's death, he wrote this book, Rage Against God, the subtitle of which is How Atheism Led Me to Faith. And the key moment when he went from verse one, mocking God, to verse two, delighting in him, was when he and his girlfriend went to see this piece of art, Rogier van der Wijn's 15th century polypitch, The Last Judgment. And when he saw it, he, he says, I scoffed. Another religious painting. Couldn't these people think of anything else to depict? (laughs) Still scoffing, I I peered at the naked figures fleeing towards the pit of hell. 
out of my usual faintly morbid interest in the alleged terrors of damnation. But this time, I gaped, my mouth actually hanging open. These people did not appear remote or from the ancient past. They were my own generation. Because they were naked, they were not imprisoned in their own age by time-bound fashions. On the contrary, their hair, and in an odd way, the set of their faces were entirely in the style of my own time. They were me and the people I knew. One of them, and I have always wondered how the painter thought of it, is actually vomiting with shock and fear at the sound of the last trumpet. I had a sudden strong sense of religion being a thing of the present day, not imprisoned under thick layers of time. A large catalogue of misdeeds, ranging from the embarrassing to the appalling, replayed themselves rapidly in my head. I had absolutely no doubt that I was among the damned, if there were any damned. Oh, Praise be that God can call mockers back to himself. <sighs> because I wonder if anyone would have actually had the guts to speak to Peter Hitchens in his entrenched atheism. I doubt anyone would. He and his brother were so entrenched in it. And yet God did. God spoke to him in the midst of that and called him back marvelously to himself. And so it begs me to ask you the question tonight, where are you at this evening? I encourage you to turn back to God. Because there's not only a serious warning here, there's also a wonderful promise. A wonderful promise that the truly happy man or woman delights in the law of the Lord. That's the promise because (laughs) that is what God is saying loud and clear in verse 2. The blessed person is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night in the same way as moths are drawn to light or a a magnet to metal or a a person lost in the desert is, is, is overwhelmingly drawn towards water. They crave water, the righteous person, in the same way as drawn to God's word. I know that life is busy. There's so many distractions, so it's hard to find the time. And I know that, well, we just so crave entertainment. We expect entertainment every day that it's hard to find the desire. But here's what we need to do if we want to slake our thirst and find what truly satisfies and refreshes it. We need to make sure we feed ourselves regularly on God's word. Day and night. Here's five uh, quick suggestions to just help you with that over these summer months. Number one, set yourself a regular time. You're going to meet with God, read his word, pray uh, to him. And, and, and regular place too. If you play a sport, you sing in a choir or you, you dance, you'll go somewhere pr- pretty much every week, won't you? And, and you, will, you will practice. Same place every week, same time every week. And you'll practice. We need to do that for our spiritual training every day too, don't we? Set a time. 
each day and find a quiet place where you're going to be undistracted, uninterrupted, just you and God, and open up his word and let him speak to you. Then don't just read it. Meditate on it. That's what we've been told here. When people think of meditation, so often we tend to think of just empty your mind of everything and just... Um. But, but when the Bible talks about meditation, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about reading the Bible like you would eat a mint humbug. Other sweets are available of a hard-boiled variety, but, but I love a mint humbug. And, and, and the ultimate satisfaction in, in a mint humbug is, is putting it in your mouth and then, and then not just crunching straight into it. No, 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 no. That wastes the opportunity. That does not make the most of the opportunity. You suck hard for, you know, two, three, four minutes until you finally are released into that wonderful chewy center. Are you with me? Oh, thank you, mint humbugs. But, but that's what the psalmist is saying. That's what the psalmist is saying about the Bible. Read the Bible like that. Don't just read it and rush on, just crunch your way through it. No. Read out loud to yourself after the first read. Then read it again, third time in your head. And then, and then maybe get hold of a, a journal or, or, or in, in your Bible, not the pew Bibles, but in your Bible, you know, underline it. You know, what are the kind of key things that God is saying to you? What stands out? What's he saying about himself? What's he saying about humanity? What's he saying about us? Underline that. Then think about it. Really think about it until, until you really feel like God is saying something, until you hear his voice, you, you get it, question it. Say, what, what do you mean by that, God? Why does your Bible writer put it like that? And, and then apply it, ask the question, well, what am I to do about this? What, what are the kind of doing words that are there? That's usually the clue, you know, the things that make you go, go do this. And then pray it through, using the words written there. You don't have to think up a big, clever prayer yourself. Just pray through what God's word is saying to you. And then memorize it. Put key verses on post-it notes in your bedroom, on the fridge, wherever it is, where, so you'll be reminded of what God has said to you. And take it deep. Uh, commit it to memory with the same kind of rigor as you do your work at work, or you, or you would study for an exam. So you can meditate on it day and night. And it can keep on feeding you for days, weeks, even years beyond that moment. Then, thirdly, find some variety so you don't get bored. I mean, like if you, I, I, love, a, I love a good steak. Oh, and, some, and some nice, oh, tender stem broccoli, you know, some baby potatoes. But, uh, but if you had it every single night for a week, even I, even I would get bored of that. You want some variety in your diet, don't you? And it's the same with God's word. You start with the gospel. Uh, but from time to time, you know, take some time to dip into the Old Testament. Sometimes do just really small chunks, just a verse or two a day, just a paragraph, till you, till you get something out of it. But other times, why not sit down and read a whole Bible book? It would only take you 14 minutes to read through Colossians. But you could read the whole New Testament in the time it would take you to binge watch Stranger Things Season 4 doesn't take long. Give it time. Fourthly, go for a long-term habit, not a short-term fix. Don't try to pole, jump, pole vault when you've never done the high jump. Uh, by, by which I mean, 
Sometimes when we hear a talk like this, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, right. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. I'm going to just absolutely bosh out a two-hour power quiet time. Yes, and then I will be, I will be Jesus Junior. And then, you know, by the, time, by the time you get to the end of the week, you are just hitting the snooze button time after time. In fact, you're sleeping through your alarm. You just lost it. No, be, be realistic. That's what I'm trying to say in terms of where you start. So what's realistic? What's realistic for you? If you're starting with zero, you know, maybe five, ten minutes. If, if, if you're doing five to ten minutes, 15, 20. See if you can up it. Maybe a bit longer at the weekend when you've got more time. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Happy to be envied is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. And please see the impact, the result of delighting in God's word as God promises us here that if we do that, we will be fruitful. Verse three, he or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So John Piper says in these words, um, have a look at this on the screen, isn't, isn't this striking? Oh, for more fruitful people. They are refreshing and nourishing to be around. You go away from them fed. You, you go away from them strengthened. You go away from them with your taste for spiritual things awakened. Their mouth is like a fountain of life. Their words are healing and convicting and encouraging and enlightening. And being around them is like a meal. Do you ever find that to be true of people in your life? I count it a real privilege to know people in this church and uh, and in churches elsewhere for whom they're like that for me. It's just a delight. It is such a delight to spend time with them. Their lips are full of the Lord Jesus. There's godliness written all over their life. They really challenge, correct, rebuke me, encourage me. Being with them is so refreshing and strengthening. Why? How do, they, how, how, how do these people become like that? Well, it's because their roots go deep, deep down in the nourishment of God's word as his spirit brings it to life and to mind. And not only will we be fruitful like those kind of people, we will endure, the psalmist says, as verse three continues, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Do you see that tree? That tree of your life. The hot desert winds are blowing. The rains are not falling. And all the other trees that are planted by the streams, they're, 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 they're not planted by a stream, are withering and dying. And yet, and yet, the leaf of your tree is still green. Because your roots are dug down deep in the endless nourishment of God's word. They reckon that you can last three weeks without food, three days without water, and three minutes without air. How long do you think you can last without God's word? We look at the world and we think that we can get get by without it. I know lots of people who never read their Bible and they seem just as healthy as me. Actually, if you know anything about my health, they're probably healthier. (laughs) 
when we look with our earthly eyes, it, it doesn't look like this great big chasm between the wicked and the righteous. But when we look with the eyes of faith, God's word is proven true. For we all know at some point the heat will come on in life. Tough times will come and the wicked so often find that they stumble and fall there because they do not have the resources to cope. Verse 4, they are like dead straw. They have no roots, no nourishment. Trouble comes and it blows them away. And even if they do survive the storms of life, verse 5 tells us that eventually they will be blown over by the day of God's judgment. But if you have been delighting in and meditating on, on God's word day and night, you could not be more secure. Yes, yes, it'll be hard when the tough times come. But your happiness will go down deeper than that. It will be durable. It's deep. It does not depend on the way the wind is blowing or whether the rain is falling. And it causes me to conclude with, with this question. Where are you looking for happiness this summer? Where will you go to seek to find it? The tree of your life will only move one of two ways over the next couple of months, either being drawn down into the way of the wicked or growing and flourishing in the way of righteousness. Which way are you going to go? Let me... Well, let's, let me give, you a, give us a moment just to think that through for ourselves, pray it through with the Lord, and then I'll pray for us before we sing again. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we come here tonight and I suspect that for most of us, we come with a conviction, a belief that your word is true. But often, if we're honest, we have to confess that we do not really believe that your word is the, the key to lasting true happiness. So we pray that you would strengthen that conviction in our hearts and minds tonight and that you would draw us into your word over and over again over the next few weeks uh, as the, the summer rolls on. Pray that as many of us get more time that we would use it wisely and well put down deeper roots into you by listening to your voice and spending time with you each day. We pray you would be at work in us um, and that you would build us up in such a way that we would be such a, we would be a great blessing and encouragement to others. We'd be some of those fruitful people Piper speaks of who others love to be around too. We pray this in your name for our good and ultimately your glory. Amen.